welcome back to the Vet Space Ireland podcast with your hosts, myself, Michelle McGuire, and I'm Hazel Mullins. On today's podcast, we have a very special guest who's going to fix all your financial worries. Nick Sherlambus is with us from Alpha Wealth, and he is a wealth, um, to mind the pun, of knowledge. And it's a very interesting podcast, so listen up. Hello, Nick, and welcome to the Best Face podcast. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. I think you're going to solve all our financial issues. That's why you're here, isn't it? Yeah, thank you very much, Hazel, and thanks, Michelle. No, I'm delighted to uh, to come on and uh, talk to you about everything related to finance. So, you know, I'm really looking forward to it. Thank you. Um, um, Nick, maybe you might start there, and just because we were talking about this a minute ago, kind of off air, but it's a good place to start, I suppose. Like, tell us about you and what it is that you guys do. So my backstory is I grew up in London. I'm from Cyprus originally, hence the unusual surname. And I studied in London and started working in investment banking. And I met a woman back in uh, London, moved to Cork in 1999, so it's 23 years ago, mm-hmm. and started in the world of kind of finance um, with the banks. I was with AIB for a number of years, working as a financial advisor and working my way up, um, managed to... I suppose, get experience under my belt, felt that I, I was kind of reaching, I suppose, the top of where I was going to get to. And then I set up my own business about nine years ago, which is Alpha Wealth. Uh, we have an office in Cork and a small office in Dublin. And there's eight financial professionals, all of which are QFA qualified. And we give financial advice to all different types of individuals, from vets to people in other industries, to self-employed, PYE workers, business owners, you know, the whole spectrum. Um, so that's generally the kind of the, the so, overview. So unlike, so, so this, I suppose, something that I kind of really want to highlight from, and we'll, we'll definitely know that once we start getting through some of the questions, but it's like, unlike the name says, one doesn't have to be wealthy in order to <laughs> avail of your guys' services. We're going to talk about pensions, savings accounts, all those things that we should have known really you know, when we started years working. Ago. Yeah, years ago. Yeah, that's a really good point, Hazel. And, and where the name came from, just if it helps, is Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet, which is where my background was. And wealth was just a connotation, obviously, around money. But mm-hmm. as you say, I actually feel that we can offer a lot more to people who don't necessarily have money that's sitting in the bank. It's about helping them to budget and to get more, the more out of their finances in whatever aspect. Um, it was interesting. I was talking to the guys earlier today in the office. Um, we're working remotely, but just um, obviously uh, over emails and so on around what makes Alpha Wealth different. Because I was thinking about, you know, what could I say to you this evening that would impress upon you? And the guys were saying kind of normal things about, you know, we provide a higher level of service than anyone else. And I was like, yeah, but that's not really tangible. You know, you can't really say that because everyone else could. Um, so what is it that makes us stand out? And I think what we kind of came to the conclusion of is that, in my opinion, and I'm probably a bit biased here, but we probably provide the, the widest, um, you know, area suite of financial advice and products than any other financial advisory firm. And I know it's a bold statement. But I'm going to give you some brief examples, perhaps, as we go through this, as mm-hmm. to why um, that might be true. But generally speaking, whoever people deal with, you know, if they have a financial advisor, it's worth just, you know, making sure that you are getting advice from someone. Generally, 
preferably not to pay for the advice that you get um, because I don't know if that's absolutely necessary. But the key thing is that you are getting some guidance because there are a lot of financial products out there that are more maybe made more complicated perhaps than they need to be. Um, interestingly, I don't know if you heard, there was an announcement there around what they call auto-enrollment. The, the government are starting to make pensions um, basically mandatory for companies. This has been going on for quite a few years now. And they're talking seriously about it coming into effect in the next two to three years. But it's going to take 10 years beyond that for it to actually come into play. So you've got a kind of a leading time of about 13 years before it really gets to any kind of real, you know, I suppose, level. And realistically, anyone who's in their kind of mid-40s, they're going to be kind of close to 60 before there is any serious pension entitlement. So people do need to kind of look out for themselves, really. Well, yeah. Since you started with pensions, then I suppose, let's go jump straight in then with the first question. And what are the best options for starting a pension? And how much should a person... Um, contribute per month like I know in the last company I was working with this lady used to come in and talk to us about pensions and we had to choose our funds and I had no clue can you simplify it for us now Nick here you go <laughs> over to you Nick <laughs> so um the, the easiest way uh just to explain it is that I feel if you have 10% of your salary which sounds like a lot but I'm going to explain why it is roughly that figure going into a pension scheme generally that is an adequate pension. Now, if you start it very early, it's going to be a significant pension. But my answer to that question is, you want to be looking at 10% of your salary. Now, the good news is that the example that you gave there, Michelle, if your employer is contributing towards that, it eases the burden. So typically, some companies will allow you to benefit from a pension scheme where you put in, say, 5% and they match it. That tends to be the, the rule for some companies out there, not all. Now, the other good piece of news is that if you pay that 5% of your salary and if you're earning over 36800 a year, which is the cutoff point typically at the standard rate of tax, you're going to get 40% back from the government on your contribution. So the overall cost to you is not going to be that significant. But the key thing is that that 10% of salary over a period of many years is going to generate a, a very significant amount. The other way I would answer the question is, it's not always about the level of contribution. It's about where you're trying to get to. So what I normally say to people when I meet with them, and whether you have a company pension scheme in place, or whether you're looking to start a pension, or whether you're um, paying into a pension scheme on, on your, for your own back, whether you're a business owner or self-employed, I always say to them, do you know three things? Firstly, what is the value of your pension? So I could ask anybody who's listening today, do they know approximately is their pension worth 5,000, 100,000? Because it's going to become a huge financial asset and it's worth just checking in and saying, okay, well, I have some sense. Now, some people have pensions from previous employments and they probably don't really know exactly what's going on with them. And this is a service that a financial advisor should offer them. It's a free review where you have a look in and say, okay, well, you worked for this employer. Like I have three pensions, one of which is in the UK. I'm not doing anything specifically with them, but I know exactly where they're at and what they're trying to do. The second thing I'd say to anyone is, do you know where your pension funds are invested? It's really important to have a sense. You don't have to know the exact detail of exactly what assets the pension's invested in, but you should have a broad scope 
as to whether it's in cash or what type of investment it's invested in. And the third and final one, which is kind of the key, most important one, is when are you looking to try and benefit from this pension? And do you have any sense of what that might look like? Now, to be very specific, what I say to everybody I come across is, what does financial independence look like for you? And I'm not using the word retire because I don't know if that truly exists anymore. This kind of hard stop of you work one day and you cease work the next. It's about being in a financial position to not have to work or not have to work to the same extent. So I always talk about myself because I suppose it's the best way of giving an example. I'm 48 years of age. I've worked, as I mentioned earlier, off off camera, um, both in the UK. I've worked in Ireland as a PYE worker for the banks primarily. And now I'm a business owner. And so my plan has changed and I've had to adapt it as I've gone on in terms of who's paying into a pension, my ability to fund the pension scheme and other things that have gone on in my life. But the overall goal has not changed. I had a vision that at 60, I'd get to a point of which I didn't have to keep working at the level of which I am. And that's still very much in play. I have 12 years left to achieve that. But the the short answer to the question is, I feel that people in Ireland should aim for a pension fund of about 500,000 euros. Now, it seems like a really high figure, but you'll be surprised, especially people who are starting young in their 20s and 30s, that 10% of salary contribution in the main will get to that number. And the reason for that 500,000 euro figure is, if you think about it, if you're 60 or 65 years of age, and you're looking to try and live reasonably comfortably for the next 20, 30 years, it's going to be really difficult to do that off the state pension, which is roughly about 12,000 a year, and currently only pays at age 66, more likely to be pushed out to age 70. And if you can get to that figure of 500, that will enable you to typically get 25% tax-free, which is 125,000, which will clear off any mortgage, any loans, give money to kids and family members if you wanted, and fund the first couple of years of your retirement years, if you like. And then the balance of monies would generate a reasonably good return of income for the remainder of your life. And the key thing as well about pensions is it's an asset that you can pass on to your next of kin. People are worried about what happens if you pass prior to drawing your pension or indeed after you draw it. And unlike times of old where your pension died with you, whatever pension asset you have, whatever value, it will go to somebody else. That is the reality. That's good. I might be taking notes as well. I'm taking a lot of notes as well. I'm like, oh my God, I need to sort my life out tomorrow immediately. (laughs) How long? 500,000, okay. We'll start with 200 euro tomorrow and then we'll get there eventually. <laughs> but, um, and just if people might be thinking about investing, you were talking about where you're invested, your pension um, risk, high or low risk. Can you explain that a little bit more, Nick? Yeah. So some financial advisors, they, they kind of try and sugarcoat this and it sounds really fancy. I've heard things like the 60-40 rule, which I'm not going to mention any names this evening, but that's something that goes around and has been mentioned. There's a really simple rule to this, guys, and I mean this, and I have a lot of experience and I have a lot of education in this area. The longer that you look to invest for, whether it's a pension, whether it's child savings or whether it's any form of savings account, the more risk you should accept. 
So the simple rule of thumb is if you look at risk and reward on a scale of one to seven, one being your cash safe, you know, deposits, seven being your high risk kind of cryptocurrency, Far East Asian equity type funds, you should take more risk the long, longer term that you have. So for someone who's in their 30s, for example, or indeed early 40s, in my opinion, you should be up around the five or six risk level on that scale. That's a relatively higher level of risk. If you're in your mid 50s and you're looking to draw this benefit down at 60 or 65, the level of risk does reduce. So that's the simple answer. And it's for everything. So for example, let's say somebody's saving for a, a property that they want to purchase. If they're looking to buy a property in the next five years, they could accept a certain level of risk. They're looking to buy in two years, they take no risk at all. It's very simple. Okay, so that's a general rule of thumb. Um, I suppose the next, the next question that we, uh, for me, I do have these two. Things. I have serious illness cover and income protection. Explain maybe to our listeners the difference between them and should we have them? You know, are they needed, etc. Yeah, so there's three financial products that, generally speaking, advisors can provide individuals. So whatever you come across, like, uh, let's say a situation where you're buying a property, you'll be wheeled into somebody. I used to be that person in the bank where you'll be told that you need to buy life cover to insure the mortgage. It's a, a requirement by law, but that you should also get illness cover that if something happened to you, that the mortgage would be cleared. That's serious illness. So mm -hmm. that's a diagnosis of a specific condition. And it's very specific and it's black or white. There's no grayness to this. The most common form would be things like cancer, coma, and heart attack. Okay, cancer being by far the largest one, particularly for uh, for women. So that's um, a financial product that, personally speaking, I think it's quite expensive for what it provides. And I'm not saying that people don't need it. It's just an understanding of why do you have it, what it costs, and what are the opportunity costs of having it. Is there something else that you could do with that money? Now, income protection, on the other hand, which basically provides an income to you if you're unable to work, is paid to uh, up to a maximum of three quarters of your salary. You cannot be better off in payment than you would be back in, in work. There has been incentive for you to return. But the reason why I would prefer income protection is that it's less stringent in terms of the uh, claim that you must make for it. So the criteria would be that you're just unable to work to the extent of your duties. So for example, you could have, let's say, I don't know, you could be playing sports and get a really bad injury. It could prevent you from working, but it would mm -hmm. more likely not pay out on a serious illness basis. Serious or illness a kick from very, a cow? Um, a kick from a cow, exactly. Yeah. So it's really about how long you could be out of work for. Now, what I would say is that the key thing about financial planning is it's about balance. So in your case, Hazel, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have those financial products. Mm. It's just making sure that you're correctly balanced in terms of what you do have and that mm. it's appropriate to your income and other financial um, you know, objectives that you have, i.e. like are you looking to purchase a property and are you funding that sufficiently? Are you funding your pension scheme, for example? Because you shouldn't have those two financial products at the mercy of everything else, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I was very young when I, I, well, I was just qualified when I got those, I suppose, income protection for a large animal vet 
for me, it was very important because we have such a, a dangerous job um, and I've had it since day one, really. So um, it was always something very important. And then um, the serious illness, I think I was probably a little naive. I didn't really know. I was just sold it. Um, it to me, it's not a lot of money a month. So I've just kind of kept it going. But definitely my pension uh, has suffered. You know, I haven't started it. Well, I only really started in the last couple of months. Uh, whereas I've had those for the last eight years. Yeah, and again, it's not a bad thing. All I would say is mm. the key thing in, and, and I suppose part of the purpose of this evening is just to check in um, on, an, on a yearly basis. Because the key thing I say to everyone, guys, is whatever the financial plan you have or you had previously, it's probably changed. Like, Hazel, your income has probably changed since you affected those. Yeah. Um, you know, your financial situation may have changed. You may have bought an asset. You know, people get married, they have children and so on and so forth. So just making sure that it's appropriate to you because some of those, you know, um, protection products, for example, and I'm not suggesting that they're a bad thing. It's just worth knowing how much am I paying for something? Like, what is the term of the policy? How long longer is it going to last for? Because it's fine to say, well, okay, I took it out a long time ago, so it's quite inexpensive. But if it's going to expire in five years' time, you'd say, well, hang on a second. Like, I'm paying for something that more likely I'm probably not going to benefit from. And these are just simple things, and I know it seems really simplistic, but I would just always say, just make sure that you know, like, is it going to cover you until you reach a certain age that you're comfortable with? Because some of these products can be altered during the term. Um, and again, without getting into too much specifics this evening, it's worth just noting what your options are and whether you, you know, they make sense to you. So Hazel, you need to make an appointment with Nick then. <laughs> and he's from Cork. Amazing. I am. Yes, that's right. We are based in Cork. <laughs> First customer tonight, Nick. Um... <laughs> I think okay. we have a rule on this podcast. Do you think this has to be 80% people have to be from Cork on the Best Face Ireland podcast? <laughs> <laughs> the good thing about I suppose what's gone on is that it's actually benefited us in that we we do reviews with people all over the country now so we went from like a cork centric company to nationwide pretty much overnight two and a bit years ago so it's been one of the very few advantages I suppose of what's happened that's brilliant um Nick you mentioned it there when you were talking about uh your financial situation can change and Neither Hazel or I have children at the moment, but I suppose a lot of our listeners will. And what is your recommendation, I guess, about you've got young kids and you want to maybe put some money by for them or they have their little savings account or whatever? What is the best recommendation for those people? So I have three children myself and they're 16, 14 and 10. And I talk to clients all the time about saving for third level education and even beyond that, you know, we know how difficult it is to buy a property. And it's something that I suppose in the UK, they start at birth, believe it or not, for their pension funds for their children. It's, it's a different environment there. But to answer your question, Michelle, um, the key thing always to understand, and I said this kind of earlier, I alluded to it, is that there is no sense in any parent saving into a short-term vehicle, which is the bank, credit union, and post office for a long-term um, objective, which is when they have children, particularly if they're in their kind of 
you know, single years and up to their kind of early teens for monies that they're not going to require. So the answer to your question really is, um, as an independent broker, which we are, my professional opinion is Zurich, which is one of the providers that we deal with, and we deal with over 11 providers in Ireland, uh, ranging from you know all of the different insurance companies. They have a really good savings plan that's appropriate for parents to save for their children. Like it's got an entry level of 100 euros a month. You can put a lump sum in. I tell parents if they can afford to, and they put the child allowance into this, from birth, putting that money in would generate a figure of about 23,000 by the time that they get to 18. And to my mind, that's a really good starting point for any child, yeah. even at that level. Okay. And that assumes a really conservative rate of interest. It really does. And these accounts can generate a lot more than that over the period. That's really, um, that's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. And look, at, I, I don't want to, you know, be disingenuous to people who are in the credit union. And, you know, I suppose I, I didn't grow up with the credit union, so maybe don't have the same affiliation to it. But the reason I don't like the credit union, uh, and I say this respectfully, is they don't pay interest. And they're not any dissimilar to the banks. But the post office accounts, funny enough, about five years ago, for the 10-year solidarity bond, which is a, a lump sum bond that people used to do for their children, it was a 10-year bond, it paid 50% interest. That's five zero. So you put in 10,000 and you waited 10 years, you'd get 15,000 euros back tax-free. It's fantastic. Mm. The same account today pays 10% interest. It's like shriveled so much. Wow. So that's 1% a year. And those accounts that I was talking about earlier, the likes of these Zurich accounts, and it's not just Zurich, uh, there are other insurance companies that provide them. The average interest that you should expect to generate is about 5% a year. And the compounding effect that it has is really powerful. Now, some of your listeners may already have these types of products. And again, I'm not trying to do a sales ploy here tonight. And I genuinely suggest to everyone that they speak to an advisor, their own advisor, another advisor. Obviously, we're a company that would be happy to speak to people completely independently. But make sure that you're paying the lowest cost for these financial products because you could end up having the right product paying way too much for that and that can be an issue so again i mean hazel referred to the fact that you know you've taken out financial products in the past that's a great thing to do in general because obviously there's no harm in having provisions that, you know to protect yourself of course there isn't but the other thing then is to say well okay am i paying too much for them because a lot of people do buy these products but like if you go into say aib you're going to be sold a product by irish life they're a tight agent. You go into Bank of Ireland and you're going to buy a product from Bank of Ireland, uh, from New Ireland because they're tied uh, to them. Whereas you go to an independent broker and they, again, they have the whole suite of companies and they will typically discount their rates Whereas the banks don't need to. They don't need to worry about clients going elsewhere because they have a captive audience. Okay. Okay. I think that's really important for people to know because as you said there, Nick, like in... I mean, I suppose I can't speak for everyone else, but like I know I'm absolutely stonewall useless when it comes to my own managing my own money. But you know, the funny thing is, Michelle, um, I, I, I meet all different types. And I went out to a farmer about 10 years ago now. It was a long time ago. And we were talking and 
it was just funny the way it came out but he just we were just discussing things on the farm and I actually was standing like with my kind of what were quite nice shoes at the time you know and it was fairly muddy <laughs> and he said to me Nick you don't know one end of the cow to another do you know like as in I was completely clued I was trying to make out I knew a little bit about farming because I knew somebody who knew a bit about farming and he totally just like cut me off at the knees and to be honest with you, it's kind of like the same thing in reverse. I say to people, you don't need to know a lot about finance. You just need to trust somebody who does know yeah. and let them manage it for you. It's the same way that, you know, I have a I have a dog. If I had a problem with my dog, I'd bring them into ye and say, well, okay, I need somebody to look after them. So you know, it's the same type of principle. Yeah, well, that makes great sense. What's next? We move on. Yeah. We move on to the big M, mortgages. <laughs> um, and I can... Um, well, I just filled out my salary certificate today to apply for a mortgage. So this is very relevant. So um, bank wise, Nick, or, you know, it's, it's look, there's a lot of there's not. Well, for me, there was I don't know. I've been looking and look, there's a, there's a finite amount of them that are supplying mortgages. So where would you suggest people look to first if they are apl- applying for a mortgage? So. And I suppose the first thing I say to people who are looking to buy a property is it's really challenging, of course. Like, I mean, we've seen the the market in Ireland and prices have gone up a lot. The the, the piece of good news, and I I suppose I want to give a little bit of comfort to people and, and hopefully a few takeaways this evening is that mortgage rates are still at a very low level. And the key thing is I'm not fixated about which bank you end up getting the money from. I'm really interested in the rate that you get from that bank. And typically for a first time buyer, the rate of interest I say to all of them is the best rate on the marketplace at the moment is 1.95%. That's the rate you should be aiming for. Doesn't mean you're gonna get it, but that's the rate to go for. There's nothing lower than that. The typical rate that I would suggest that you shouldn't go beyond as a first time buyer is 2.25%. So unless there's some other reasons. For example, I was talking to a client today that was approved with PTSB at 2.95. Now they went to a mortgage broker, which is something that I would advocate. Because if you think about it, if you go to a mortgage broker, it's like going into all the banks at the same time. I still struggle with people who bank with Bank of Ireland and go down to Bank of Ireland to get their mortgage. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but it, it means that they're tied to what Bank of Ireland will offer them. And unfortunately, Bank of Ireland are not particularly competitive at the moment. Now, there's a few other little nuances to look out for. For example, people who are buying, say, a new property or a house that's had uh, a bit of retrofit done to it, they may apply for a green mortgage. And those rates are very attractive. So even if you're going to a bank and haven't shopped around, really, it's always good to know that you you may well avail of the green mortgage. For example, EBS, EBS's rates have been atrocious, but they've just recently launched a green mortgage at 2.1%. So what I would say is it's definitely worth getting guidance. And I would advise speaking to a mortgage broker. We don't provide mortgages in Alpha Wealth. We've decided to kind of keep somewhat independent from that. But I would certainly recommend that you would speak to a mortgage broker. Firstly, to reaffirm maybe what you've already done, let them help you and do the heavy lifting to get the mortgage because it is hassle. Let's call a spade a spade, getting all the stuff together. And like, we're all very busy, but most importantly is get the most money for you. 
um, at the best rate possible. Now, for those people who are, say, buying their second property or are currently have a mortgage, I'd say the same things to them. You should be looking. The key thing for me, whenever I come across a client is I ask them certain questions um, and I say to them, and it's really straightforward. I say, look, I give you advice in four areas, mortgages, pensions, retirement advice. I can dress it up, but it's the same um, area, savings and investments and insurances. So let me ask you about your mortgage. Like what rate are you paying? Anyone who says over 2.25, I then launch into the same discussion. Okay, well, you can get a better rate than you're currently on, Mr. Client, but I need you to do one thing for me. Will you contact your bank and ask them, if you're on a fixed rate, how much will it cost you to break the fixed rate? And people don't realize, but you can do that. Everyone can get out of their mortgage, but they may need to pay a fee for that. And sometimes the fee can be really small. So I have a lot of clients who, for example, have a mortgage with KBC or Osterbank. Now, as I'm sure you guys are aware, they're leaving the Irish marketplace. And people are kind of asking me, okay, Nick, what do you do? Well, the mortgage is going to move to the new institution. Typically, it's going to be Bank of Ireland or PTSB. That's where those particular institutions are moving their mortgages across to. But the mortgages will stay the same until the uh, clients come to the end of their fixed rates. But that doesn't mean that they can't do anything. What I'm saying to them now is you should be looking to actually avail of a cheaper rate in your present bank rather than wait until you move across. Because what will happen is that they'll come to the end of their fixed term in, say, the likes of Bank of Ireland from KBC, and they'll find that they're in a more expensive rate when they get back to you know, trying to fix again. I do think mortgage rates are very low at the moment and they will start to go up. We started to see that creep in. So my advice to everyone is if you can get a mortgage, go for it. Remember what I said earlier about the 1.95 tending up to 2.25 and think about, you know, what the best option is for you in terms of, you know, sometimes a mortgage broker would say, well, this bank makes more sense because they're going to lend you slightly more. Generally speaking, the rule is, you know, three and a half times your salary, joint salary included. Sometimes they'll be able to push up to around four times salary. But that's kind of mostly the max, really. But there's always reasons why things may be different. You know, I spoke to a client earlier today who said that their situation was unusual, you know, and I do unusual. You know, I find it, you know, it's a bit more challenging. So you know, they were, um, their partner was only um, employed in kind of temporary contracts and they weren't sure whether they could still apply for them. They were thinking, would they apply on their own? And I think that would be a big mistake in most instances. But again, they just need a little bit more kind of handholding. Mm -hmm. Okay, awesome. very good. That's very helpful. Now, Hazel, did you make all your notes there? I, I have. I have them all here. Um, <laughs> and I actually, yeah, it's a green mortgage I was looking at. Yeah, so around the 2.1 and trying to figure out the cashbacks and doing all the, the calculations to see where the cashback you're actually, it's a little bit of a higher rate, but actually, you know, it's just acts like a saving really rather than a savings account, rather than you actually gaining any money. That's what I've kind of noticed from it. Absolutely. Hazel. And that, that's a really good assessment you've come to. Um, you seem to have done a lot more perhaps than maybe you needed to in that normally the mortgage broker would do that for you. But to be fair to you, that's exactly the analysis that, someone should be doing either yourself or someone else um, but the fact that you can get a green rate is fantastic because that's a really good rate of interest for sure and can i just ask you how do 
mortgage breakers brokers make like so I say I went away and did all this kind of um, in my own head and looking at all the different rates we met different banks I, I know like people are like I'm kind of tempted to go to a mortgage broker now but are you are you losing you know are you the money you pay them are you losing a lot or is it just the, the hassle that's kind of your you're taken out of the equation um most mortgage brokers they, they can charge sometimes a small nominal fee because they're worried about tire kickers but once they know you're serious, and we, we would recommend one or two mortgage brokers who wouldn't charge a fee, they get paid by the banks they place the business with. And that's generally the rule. So okay. it's a little bit like, you know, dealing with me. Most people say to me, okay, Nick, what's the fee for the consultation? Now, we're not charging, certainly not anyone who's on or listened to this podcast or listened to um, back for any consultation. A lot of financial advisors will charge uh, and they can charge over a thousand euros, believe it or not, for a financial consultation. The way that we're enumerated is through any financial products that people may buy. But like that, typically it's kind of like a win-win. The client benefits from getting the independent service and then the financial advisor gets paid by the insurance company they place the business with. And it's all very transparent and we're obviously regulated by the central bank. But in answer to the question that you've given there, Hazel, the mortgage broker is not going to charge you typically, and they're not interested in you paying them. It's the bank that they place a business with, but it doesn't cost you anything. So even if you place the same mortgage with the mortgage broker than going directly to the bank, the cost to you is the same, but the bank will pay them typically 1% of the money that you draw down. So it's quite you know, advantageous for the mortgage broker. And hence why you should expect a, a good level of service from them. And I say to people, if the mortgage broker is not doing it for you, go and find someone that is. They're all very busy at the moment, obviously. Like they're inundated with people that are trying to buy properties. And the key thing I say, and I think you have it, Hazel, is you need to bring your A game to these kind of discussions because there's 50 people ahead of you that have found a property and a mortgage approved. So you need to come in with your guns blazing. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I don't think you need... Uh, much of a geop. Um, what I'd say <laughs> well, that though was is... all that was all done watching first dates there one night, so it was uh, <laughs> time well spent. <laughs> Very good. Oh, that's good to know. Thank you so much for that, uh, Nick. Thank you. No problem. So, Nick, we're looking now about like maybe people wanting to. They've got a bit of a lump sum, or they've got redu- redundancy money from maybe um, leaving a job. What should they just say 40,000 to pick a random number out of my head? What, do you, what should they do with that? Or how should they invest that money? Or, or what would be your advice for Lumpson? So when I talk to clients who have monies, uh, either through saved or they may have received a gift or inheritance, um, it's really down to kind of a, a menu board. Now, I don't want to oversimplify this, but Again, financial planning tends to be made more complex by people who are trying to blind people with science. So in my view, the key thing is you start with the most tax efficient investments, i.e. like for most vets out there or, or anyone really for that matter, you're looking at pensions. Are you appropriately investing in your pension scheme? Because we all have the ability to fund our pensions quite aggressively and the, the the opportunity for most of us like for example anyone who's in their 40s 
can invest 25% of their salary in any given year into their pension fund. So if you're on like 50,000 a year, that's a fairly generous amount. And you can go back a year as well. The government will allow you to go back one year if you've not maximized. So if you were doubling up, you could put a fairly considerable amount of that 40,000 into a pension. Now I'm not saying that that's the right thing to do. I'm just saying you need to consider that. And because of the tax you know, efficiencies, so take an example, if you took 10,000 of the 40 and put it into a pension scheme and you were earning over 36,800, you're going to get 4,000 back from revenue pretty much straight away. So that's a good starting point. And by the way, the pension fund grows tax-free until you draw it down. So you've got all these years of tax-free growth, which is enormous. It's a massive incentive. And it, like I said earlier, it gives you the opportunity perhaps to look at retiring early. So that's a, another big plus. The other thing then is, you know, do you have any loans? Because there's no point people looking to save or invest when they have money that they owe the bank. You know, I have this conundrum of clients who, like they've got money sitting in the bank because they want the, the, the security it provides them. But then they might have a car loan or a credit card that they're paying interest on of eight to 20% in some cases. So you look at saying, well, okay, is there a loan there? Does it make sense to pay off the loan? Because that's going to be one of the better forms of savings. It's risk-free. You don't have to undertake risk to do it, of course. And to try and make the same return is going to require a lot of risk for them. And then it's the case of saying, well, okay, what, what aims do you have? Do you have your short, medium, and long-term aims covered? Um, and I referred to earlier kind of this plan with Zurich. I don't want to go back and say, you know, there's specific products there, but it's a great vehicle for people as a deposit alternative. So really, the short answer to the question is, I would suggest that it's worth exploring different options and looking at maybe balancing that to what works best. So it might be a case of like breaking it up into parts, some proportion to a pension, some into uh, the likes of paying down loans and maybe even clearing those. The other to put into savings vehicles that are going to grow. I'm conscious that some of the vets, you know, are earning, you know, north of the the standard uh, threshold of the 36,800. And one of the biggest problems for most vets is that they pay a lot of money in tax, and they don't really have a lot of opportunity to try and reduce that. I'm a business owner, so I have ability to affect my income. So I can reduce my income if it suits me, I end up paying less tax. Whereas, you know, a lot of vets, particularly if they're self-employed, they don't have the ability to do so. So how can they alleviate the problem? Well, pension is one, but it doesn't solve all ills because, as we've said, they're going to have to wait typically until they're 60 to access the money. They can access it earlier, typically from 50, but it's probably not likely. But there is another tax scheme. Um, now, not many people are familiar with this, but again, this is where talking to a financial advisor, it's about trying to get information from them. It's a scheme called the Employment Investment Incentive Scheme, and it allows people who are earning tax at the higher level. So anyone who's earning over, let's say, 43,000 a year, you would have paid at least six or 7,000 at the higher rate of tax. If you had money in the bank, and in this example of 40,000, I would suggest it would make sense to put a sum, let's call it 5,000, 
into that qualifying scheme, which is a four-year scheme, and the Irish government will reward you, giving you back 40%, which is 2,000 in the example of five, within 12 months of making that investment. You then wait a further three years and you get your 5,000 back with interest from the company. Now you might say, Nick, Cripes, that sounds too good to be true. Why were we never told this? Um, the scheme has been available, believe it or not, since 2011. Its predecessor was called the BES scheme, which was riskier. It was typically um, basically concentrated on manufacturing companies. There's about 70 companies a year that look to raise money in this space. You'll see them advertised if you pick up Sunday papers anytime around kind of October, November, December time, because that's when companies start looking to raise this type of finance. And the reason for the 40% reduction or the rebate that people get is that you're seen to be helping companies to employ people in Ireland. And there's a whole plethora of different companies. And I suppose our role as financial advisors is to narrow those down to what we consider to be the best one or two companies. So again, it's more about understanding like what could you do with that money? And in my opinion, knowing that you can put it into a pension, knowing that you could avail of the EAAS scheme as it's known, knowing that you can pay off loans and knowing that you could perhaps invest it in a liquid accessible option as in like a rainy day or emergency fund or maybe saving for a house or an extension or for the next house, it's deciding then what makes most sense for you. Is that okay? So that's a really long answer to your question, but I suppose <laughs> the key thing is that it's not a one-fits-all solution, but it's more about knowing what your options are and then choosing what works best for you. Yeah. Well, I suppose, Nick, look, you're here to give us the highlights. Mm -hmm. um, and then people need to go to you <laughs> For, the, for more advice yeah for more advice yeah um, i'm thinking where, where has nick been all my life by the way um we're we've got a website where there's a few really good like webinars that we've done over the last two years um and joking aside like for example the savings plan is on the webinar and the key thing is and we were speaking about it earlier um amongst the team it's about trying to not have that kind of pushy approach. People, I think, are a little bit put off by, I suppose, financial planners as a rule because there is a connotation that, you know, they're just going to kind of annoy them and, you know, try and push product on them. And it's not that we're holier than thou. It's just a key thing for us is that we want to show people and take kind of the long-term view with them and say, well, here's information and make informed decisions on what makes sense for you. You know, whether it be in savings, uh, we did some uh, webinars recently with um, some sectors, and we're going to do one actually shortly with vets around incorporation, you know, should they incorporate and the pros and cons of doing so. It's more of an education piece because there's no real product there. It's just to help people understand the, the nuances and the fact that I set up a company, I'd like to feel I'm probably a bit more versed perhaps than others. Um, but there's a lot of um, information out there. You know, and I know there's a lot of people out, um, you know, the likes of Owen McGee, and I can use his name because I used to work with him and I know him, um, has helped people kind of understand a little bit more about managing their finances. Mm -hmm. But the most important thing is that even with all the time in the world, which we don't have, it's just being able to check in with someone and say, okay, does that make sense? You know, um, I get 
clients who ask me about the most innocuous things, you know, like um, house insurance. We don't sell house insurance, but I send them to a broker in Cork who I feel are the best and the cheapest. And that's who I buy my house insurance for. It doesn't cost me anything. And you might say, Nick, well, why do you bother? Why do you do that? And I think it just makes us better financial planners because at least I can kind of say, well, it's to your financial betterment. So that might afford you more money. Same with health insurance. Health insurance is a minefield. There's 473 plans currently in Ireland. We don't provide health insurance, but we absolutely help people with that. You know, I have a lot of clients who pay a lot of money for health insurance every year. How can I help them? Well, the first thing is, if you've got more than one child, never pay for more than one of them because most of the three providers provide plans where you pay for one child, get the others free. It's a simple thing to do, but you need to be mindful of how you can go about doing that. They only offer them at certain times of the year. I have my health insurance with Leia, and believe it or not, I've had the same plan for the last 10 years. And every year, I've had to cancel it with Leia and buy it back. And the reason for that is that I get a 10% online discount and they won't offer it to me as an existing customer. And that may seem like a bit of hassle, but my plan costs a thousand euros a year and I pay 900 for it. It's a really good plan, has good inpatient benefits, um, doesn't have much on the outpatient side, which suits me personally. But the point of the uh, message I'm trying to give is I save myself a hundred euros a year by taking two minutes to cancel and to rebuy online. So that's a, a really good financial tip for people as well. Yeah. Yeah. See, I have to get over my lazy. I'm just like, oh. <laughs> see, I, like, get an email. I get an email yeah. saying you're, you're a renew, it's up for renewal. And I'm like, okay, let's roll it over. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't have time for that in my head today. But like, how much money could we be saving just by looking at all these things? Do you know mm. what I mean? So, I mean, the one thing I'd say, Michelle, and look, I appreciate you guys being so uh, open about this, is that, um, there is this kind of perception that it's a lot of hassle and rigmarole. And like, I often have clients that say to me, okay, Nick, I'll go and get that information for you. And they've got some stuff stuffed in a drawer somewhere. And I just say to them, you know, please, I really don't want you to do that. The way we tend to work is we get people to sign what's called an authorization. It doesn't cost anything. It doesn't obligate them to do anything. It allows us to reach out to the companies and get the information for them. And then what we do is we just report back and say, this is what we have in terms of the policies you have. And we can do a more concise kind of comparative because there's no point someone saying to me, oh, yeah, my pension's with Irish Life. And then I start asking them a few more questions and they're like, mm, I don't know, like, you know, <laughs> like what fees are you paying? What funds are you invested in? Um, do you know, like, what your allocation rate is? And they look at me with, like, square eyes and I say, <laughs> you know what, just sign the form and let me do it for you. Yeah. At least, uh, you know, you benefit from getting a, a report back from us on an Excel sheet that you can kind of follow. And it's kind of a good tool to have anyway. It's the only thing I ever ask for people is, I just want you to have a little bit of like interest in doing something. Because the problem is, okay, like, and joking aside, like you're obviously very keen tonight and I really appreciate that. But we all go back into our daily lives and like, you know, it's, it's difficult to find time. And then you've sometimes got like two people in a relationship and I say to them, okay, well, this makes sense for you. And, but like, I'd like to speak to your partner because so these are joint decisions. You know, when I speak to parents who I tell them to set up a savings plan for their child, they're like, yeah, okay. 
but it, it's not them necessarily that makes the decision. And I, I'm very cognizant of that. So I say to them, okay, can we set up maybe a Zoom, uh, maybe one evening with your partner, just to kind of run through so that you're both kind of on plan. I know, Hazel, you mentioned about mortgages, but you know, if there's two people in a, in a mortgage, I say to them, okay, well, I, I think it's a good idea maybe to speak to two of you, especially if you're kind of like a year until you're looking to buy because you want to stay on the same page. And interestingly, like I've had clients that, you know, one of the clients maybe wouldn't be as good at saving and that's okay as long as they're aware of, you know, what that could do. So like one client I was talking to there a few weeks ago, they were saving so aggressively, they were actually going overdrawn in their current account. I know it sounds ridiculous, but unfortunately that was going to go against them in, you know, trying to get a mortgage. I had another client that was using a Revolut account where they were, it wasn't excessive gambling, but they were just like, you know, going online and, and book paying, you know, for bets and so on. Really like small stuff. The banks did not like that at all. And they thought by using Revolut, it was okay because the banks don't look at that. But the banks can request to see all accounts and they will look for that. So it's just about being kind of mindful and just, you know, not doing anything that's going to necessarily go against you. Um, but as I said, I'd like to think that we, and, and, and a lot of advice is the same. I know lots of very good financial advisors up and down the country. Um, we're not the only ones. Just make sure that you find someone that you can work with because it is a relationship that you're trying to build and grow over a long period. That's the key thing. I know myself when I worked in the banks, we were switched over so often that we were never talking to the same client for more than 18 to 24 months. And that's not ideal. Didn't really like that model, you know, because sure you develop a relationship with someone and then you're sent to another branch and you'd have a whole different criteria of people that you'd be dealing with. Um, at least I can say with Alpha Wealth, and I'm the oldest at 48, we've got a really good young team that will go on the journey, um, with, you know, with people. So, but yeah. Brilliant. So. Very good. Um, Nick, you mentioned two things there now that resonated with, re, or resonated with me, and it's kind of in relation to our next uh, question. Uh, so one you mentioned Revolut and the other you mentioned um, and crypto. So I am one of those mad people that I'm like, have a Revolut account. And every now and again, I'm like, oh, there's a random 50 euro in my Revolut account. I should buy crypto with it. And I do. And I have no idea what I'm doing or what I'm buying. And I'm just doing it because I feel like it's a good idea. So what can you tell us about cryptocurrencies? And do you have any advice in relation to investing? Because I'm just lashing 50 quid there randomly into crypto. I have no idea whether it's good or bad. Um. Yeah, I have a lot of knowledge. People think I'm an expert on crypto because um, I, I've, you know, had a couple of articles um, in some of the press and I was on radio and now I became this kind of crypto expert. <laughs> My only experience, um, I suppose, professional experience is I've invested personally and I partly did it as an education. The, the main things I would say to anybody that is looking at crypto as an investment is number one, it's very high risk. And I think most people probably would accept that. So what you've said there, Michelle, about putting 50 euros here and 50 euros there, I'm totally okay with. Like, it's not going to make or break you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's whilst very risky, you're not going to be totally, like, you know, financially at you know detriment if things didn't go well. Having said that, is it 
you know, the right thing for you, because if you continue doing that over a longer period, there are probably better things that you could do with that money. And we spoke earlier about obviously putting into a pension and getting tax relief and tax free growth. Um, I've bought crypto in my pension fund. So there is an opportunity if people are very interested in this subject. And again, comes back to information. I've bought crypto in my company as well. So my company has made an investment. Moderate amounts, I have to add, like nothing significant. And it should only form a very small part of your overall portfolio. In relation to which crypto coins, I can give my personal view. But I'm no more experienced than you know most people out there who have read up on the topic. Cryptos have gone through a very volatile time of late, which most people would be familiar with. You know, they're a risk asset. And as we've seen over the last few months, not just because of what's gone on in the Ukraine, which is awful, but also with the advent of increase in interest rates, cryptocurrencies have fallen about 35% in general over the last four months. And most people say, yeah, that, that's okay. I'm okay with that. But are they really? You know, if I had said to you, well, okay, you know, here's a thousand euros, put it in crypto. And then in four months time, I said to you, well, that's 600 and something euros. Is that okay? You'd be like, mm, I'm not sure. Maybe I could have done something else. So it's, it's really risky is what I'm trying to say. But if you're speculating, that's okay. But it's not an investment. That's, yeah. that's the key thing. Okay. Well, Nick, I think we have covered um, a lot of topics in this podcast. And I honestly feel, um, look, it's probably never too late, is it? It's never too late to look for help. You know, you sometimes you'd be like, oh, why didn't I do this years ago? But look, if you're listening to the podcast and, you know, you think Nick can help you or there's an advisor somewhere that can help you, then I think that's kind of the, the name of the game tonight. And I think I've learned a lot. I think Michelle, you probably, Michelle's going to be rolling in money now. For Jesus, I'm the worst. Nick doesn't want anything to do with me because he'll be like, you are crazy. Nick, what have you got yourself into? You'll have these two crazy vet and vet nurse coming down to you. Yeah, no, do you know what? I, I, I like interesting. I really do. You know, I really <laughs> do, Michelle. So honestly, the more interesting, the better. But it's been an absolute oh. pleasure talking to you both, honestly. And Thank I do you. appreciate your time and uh, all the questions. Absolute delight. But as I said, for anyone who is listening, they look up Alpha Wealth on our Instagram page or our website. There's loads of information, webinars. And it's not just me, by the way. I have a fantastic team. I don't want to take credit for it because they do all the work. I just come and, um, I suppose, tell the story. Um, and I have to, you know, give them credit because the key thing is it's about the process. There's no point me promising clients this level of service and it's not followed through with. And I'd like to think that it absolutely is um, really great team working in Alpha. Great. Well, we That's will lovely. be sharing all your website details and will be in the show notes. So wherever people listen to the podcast, whether it's Apple iTunes or Spotify or whatever, they can just click the link in the notes and it shall bring them straight to your website and It'll be on Instagram. We'll share your Instagram and everything. So it'll be easily accessible from anyone that's listening from our side, because I think it's just so useful. If you do anything for yourself this year, go and speak to make an appointment to see Nick Skies, because, you know, I think people since the pandemic, certainly I know myself and a lot of my friends and family are people are a bit more discerning. People want to work less and have their money working a bit better for them. Um, 
so yeah, I think now is a good time to take action, as it were. I think so. And do you know, guys, honestly, I really think there is so much people can do. Um, I, I I spoke to a client who's 71 uh, the other day who hadn't set up a pension scheme. Now they're still employed, they're, they're, they're working as a GP. And we, we sat down and it was just, it was really, really kind of interesting to see what impact it was going to have for them even over a relatively short period. Um, and there's lots of information out there. Like we talk about, um, and on our website, we've just added, um, you know, some book recommendations. I read a really good book recently, and it's on audio, if anyone does listen to audio, um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, by a guy called Robert Kiyosaki. Brilliant book, really is. It's six hours on audio, if anyone has the time. Um, I listened to it over a period of week great financial education for anyone and I would advise anyone if you want to take something away um, from that well worth a listen really is brilliant we'll share that sounds as well. good I love it. we love recommendations so thank you so much again Nick and it was a thanks pleasure thanks for your time you guys on, and we'll it's talk absolute, soon it's a pleasure thanks very much Hazel thanks Michelle it's a pleasure meeting you both so you never miss an episode and to find out more go to petspaceireland.ie and don't forget to check us out on social media and tag us whilst you're listening to the podcasts we'd love to see it